DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is a professor of spiritual theology at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He is a graduate of the Pontifical University at St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He specializes in the wisdom of the saints and mystics of the Church, and in particular, Carmelite spirituality. He is also the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, a theological contemplation on prayer. In this particular series of episodes, we focus in on the mystery of faith in the wisdom of the saints. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Willis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you again for joining me. It's a delight to be with you, Chris. Thanks for having me. In our previous conversation, we began to talk about the work you undertaken in Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation on prayer. It is such a generous book in that you just fill it and with th- these beautiful riches, the- these stories and the teachings of so many saints who have made this pilgrimage and are like on the side of the roads encouraging us forward. It, it, it's so wonderful. I think today uh, hearing their voice because um, they've gone before us and they know the terrain, if we listen to what they have to say, they can give us a kind of confidence that we need to be able to uh, to follow up the same kinds of terrain. Even if our journeys are, are different than theirs, there are struggles and there are things that are common for all of us, even if there are differences too. And somehow they're that voice of wisdom that kind of lets you know, okay, I'm in the middle of this right now. This is pretty bad, but this is not the end of the story. There's more to it because I can see, you know, St. John of the Cross faced something even worse than this. And he got through and he's okay. Maybe I can deal with this and I'll be okay too. It gives you a kind of confidence because the saints put the the teaching of the gospel of Christ in their own words. We would really like to have a method, a a way of praying, a, a systematic type of thing that says, okay, I'm going to learn how to pray. And while that, I think, is an articulation of a desire of the heart, Ultimately, the methods, the techniques, all those things will fall flat if there is an important element that's not there. Yeah. A method or a technique can be very useful in the beginning of the spiritual life. But one of the things you'll notice about any method or technique, if you've been using it for any length of time, especially if you've been disciplined in prayer, is it begins to get more and more simplified as your heart gets pulled more and more into solitude and silence with the Lord, in that something that needs to be there, in fact, is this living relationship with the Lord. Jesus is not an abstract idea or a principle, something that merely appeals to our imagination. He's a real person who loves us, who's been sent from the Father to us so that we can find the way home. He comes to our hearts Every moment of the day, he's present to us in some some new and mysterious way. People who are drawn to prayer 
they are fascinated by this mystery of the Lord who's been sent to us in, in all these beautiful ways. Sometimes he seems absent, and sometimes he, he, you feel his presence. But whether he seems absent, in the beginning of the spiritual life, we might use any number of different methods and so forth to get ourselves started in prayer. But as we advance and as we discover that prayer really isn't so much about my spiritual exercises that I do, but it's about what God is doing, his mighty work in being present to me and leading me forward and inviting and challenging uh, and drawing. This is the great wisdom of our tradition, that God is the one who's taken the initiative. And we simply receive that gift and respond to it in prayer. And the more we respond, the more simple our response becomes. It becomes a, a simple movement of the heart to the Lord. In the book, Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, there is a quote that you use that begins chapter 6 from Cardinal Von Tuan. And he speaks that peace depends on victory. Victory depends on struggle. If you desire peace, you will struggle continuously. Yes. In our tradition, when we talk about peace, perfect peace will be realized in heaven. Even the peace of heaven isn't what we first imagine it to be. Uh, most people think peace somehow means, um, you know, this kind of state of non-activity where you're kind of uh, passively going through beautiful stuff and enjoying beautiful stuff. Well, certainly that's a dimension of peace. That's the way we like to imagine Adam and Eve in paradise. But the peace of the Lord is a peace that you only have when you confront evil. If you think about Adam and Eve, why did they lose their peace, the peace of paradise? Because they didn't, they didn't really know how to confront evil. They got enchanted by it. And getting enchanted by it, they fell into disobedience and lost everything. The peace that comes from the Lord is the peace that comes from having our integrity restored by God, by the truth. Uh, safeguarding the truth, then, is the secret to preserving our integrity, is the secret to being at peace with ourselves, being at peace with those around us, and being at peace with God. But to safeguard the truth, we need to have the, the courage to confront uh, the doubts and challenges that emerge from daily life. And this is what Cardinal Van Tuan means. The truth is the truth of God's love. The truth is that the deepest reality of me and my neighbor is that God loves us. And when I live out of that truth, I'm going to relate to my neighbor, and I'm going to relate to God, and I'm going to relate to myself uh, in a certain kind of way. If I know that I'm loved by God, my neighbor's loved by God, if I know that God is love, that puts everything to a certain context. To test and strengthen and make our love mature, the Lord allows, permits all kinds of, of challenges and trials and hardships because he wants our love to be strong like his love is strong. He wants our love to be undaunted and unvanquished like his love is. So he gives us lots of opportunities for this. Cardinal Van Tuan, his statement is such a statement of hope. Uh, you know, in this struggle, our victory is assured. If we are faithful to God and faithful to our friends, if we don't drop our weapons uh, and we stand our ground, he says our friends are, are the angels and the saints. 
and the Lord. Mary, we stand by our friends, and our weapons are the rosary and reading scriptures and going to mass and going to confession. If we don't drop our weapons, if we keep on using our weapons, and we stand by our friends, we don't forsake our friends, our victory is assured. That's an awesome word of hope, and it means the beauty of the Christian life is, uh, is that it really is a life of peace. Yes, it requires constant effort, constant vigilance. Yes, it is not easy. It involves following our crucified master. But the peace is real, and it's deep, and it's a fullness of life. It's a peace that sees the beauty of God in the face of all the ambiguities and confusion that this life throws at us. It's a peace that remains that the world cannot take away from us, that no height or depth or any power can take from us because God has given it to us. And so it's worth striving for. It's worth protecting. What is that in the visible and invisible that we profess every Sunday, at least in our creed, that is the enemy of prayer? The first enemy of prayer is is you could say probably our own ignorance. We uh, spend our lives most of the time living as if the ultimate reality is the visible reality around us. And so we're always reacting to circumstances and things, uh, the world that's visible around us. If somebody uh, threatens our reputation or wounds our pride, uh, somebody has something that we want, we react to all those things. And they're so petty and slight and as long as we're living with our hearts only seeing kind of the visible world around us and reacting to that visible world, we're very susceptible to all kinds of deceit. We are like a ship lost on the sea. You know, all these waves around us, we're, we, we don't have anything to stand firm on. The invisible world actually is over the visible world. And the, the invisible world is a, a, a spiritual world that we can't see. In the spiritual world, there are uh, super intelligences, some of whom have served the living God, some of whom have opposed the living God. And part of, of living a life of prayer is learning to discern how the invisible world is influencing the visible world around us. The super intelligences that are influencing the circumstances around us, are they rational or irrational? An irrational, superintelligent being is someone who's not ordered to God. He's rejected his ultimate end to his God. And because of that, he's a power that, of irrationality in the world. And when you can see, when you're learning to discern those different powers of the irrationality, you can begin to name them and you can begin to disassociate yourself with them as you name them. And at the same time, you can also see there are um, intelligent things going on in the world that, that are rational, that are ordered to God. And you're able to name those and you're able to cooperate with those if you're pondering things with the wisdom of discernment. This in itself takes great prayer, but as you enter into this wisdom of discernment and you begin to um, uh, recognize the different spiritual movements of things going around you, all of a sudden, uh, rather than being the victim of the circumstances of the moment, you're able to exercise some spiritual authority in different situations in a very, very beautiful way. For example, 
I saw a, a wonderful priest who sometimes talks on your show. His name is Monsignor Asif. I saw him at a meeting. I was sitting right next to him at a meeting. And uh, we were hearing about a different approach to uh, formation in the seminary. And as each person spoke, Monsignor was discerning what was going on in that moment through that person. And, and sometimes he recognized a spirit of peace a spirit of wisdom, and he would affirm that. And as he as he did, you just you listen to what the person had to say, and it was reassuring. And you could look around the room, and you could see people's eyes lighting up when they heard the reassuring thing. And then in the same meeting, somebody else might say something. He might recognize a spirit of arrogance, and you could see the effect of that spirit of arrogance on everybody in the whole room. And what I learned from sitting next to Monsignor Esif was when you see the spirits that are at work, it's not like you know the devil's running around with a red little uh, suit and a pitchfork and, and uh, those kind of cartoon characters. No, there, there are real things that go on every day in our conversations. And are you going to be swayed by, those, by the irrational forces around you? Or are you going to stand firm in the love of Christ? Monsignor Asif was choosing to stand firm. So rather than getting caught up in the emotions of the moment, he would recognize for what it was. And when he recognized uh, the, what was going on in the moment, the kind of the spirit uh, in, in the moment, he was able to have authority over it and, and authority over himself so that he had the freedom to renounce silliness like arrogance or or judgmentalism and and he had the freedom to respond to and to affirm the genuine joy and peace and wisdom uh, what was going on in that that meeting when you're able to do this you're able to make good decisions for yourself you don't get caught up you're able to uh, respond to what's going on now these irrational forces uh, some people like to look at them as merely psychological movements in your your own psychology but the tradition of the church says, no, we're actually involved in a, a, a spiritual war. There's a, a war that has broken out between good and evil before humanity ever uh, came on the scene. And Christ Jesus won, a, won the victory of good over evil, and he won it by accepting death, death on the cross. And so we as Christians we live, we can choose to live in that victory by faith, or we can allow ourselves to be susceptible to all the irrationality around us because we don't choose to live in that victory. And the awesome thing about the victory of good over evil is, is good Jesus, he defeats evil not by coercing it, not by forcing it, not by overpowering it, not by manipulating it, not by trying to outsmart it. The way good overcomes evil is the same way that light shines in the darkness. All the light needs to do is remain, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And that's what we believe, and that's those who engage in the life of prayer. As you pull into solitude, as you enter into silence, you will notice in your own hearts all kinds of irrationality uh, kind of come out towards your spouse, towards your children, towards your co-workers, all kinds of things that are not noble. You will see them in your heart. And as you see them, if you can recognize them there, and then to hold, just submit them to the Lord and say, Lord, this is not you. Lord, uh, I, I repent of this. I've been caught up in thinking like this. this. This is not what you have for me. You've called me to something more. And as you 
as you repent of these broken patterns of thought and you submit them over to the Lord, you, maybe you'll go to confession and uh, uh, bring them into confession, especially if you've acted on them or you got caught up in the moment and you said something stupid. And you keep on submitting it to the Lord. The mercy of the Lord is deeper than our misery. And the deepest truth of our lives is not that we um, have fallen into sin or we allowed ourselves to get caught up by this spirit or that spirit of uh, uh, envy or jealousy or anger or judgmentalism. That's not the deepest truth in our lives. If we are repentant and turning to the Lord and calling out to him, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, have mercy on me, O God, and the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my offense. If we're ready to do that, that the Lord can deliver us from all the irrationality around us so that we can stand firm in the truth and not be caught up uh, 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 in the moment, but um, stand with Christ uh, in the eternal sanctus before the Father. Uh, that's the invisible reality that is over everything. And it's the light that shines in the darkness. And when we choose to live like that, we become um, we become light in the world. We become a sign of hope for those who most need it. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. 
that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm struck with that, th- those Benedictine fathers, those, th- those early desert fathers, that what you just said is that they're, how they, they battled that enemy was to name it, to see it for what it was, to see that spirit the way it was, and then to confront it with truth to take the word of God, to take the scripture, and just as Jesus did in the desert and say, man does not live by bread alone, to, to use the word of God as the, as the weapon, as it were. And I think of our conversations in the past, you know, Blessed Elizabeth Trinity, the little one in France, I mean, she did the same thing. And countless others that you talk about in Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, that seems to be that anchor in Scripture, in that word of truth, that that has such a power in itself, doesn't it? Absolutely, and you you raise something. In fact, Anthony of Egypt, uh, the the father of uh, monasticism in a lot of ways, and the eremitical movement, the father of all those who go out into the desert. Uh, he he went into the uh, the before he went out into the desert, he went out into the the tombs, and the reason why he went out there is because the Christians, everybody was afraid to go out there because they were afraid of the evil spirits who lived in the tombs. So he went out there to confront them. You know, what is the tombs? The tombs is a place of death. And so he went into a place of death to confront irrationality. He was tempted by a a spirit of fornication and a spirit of violence. The evil one would uh, try to trick him and seduce him and uh, say awful things to him. And no matter what the evil one threw at him, he would counter it with a word of truth. And the reason why he was able to do this was he studied the Bible and he memorized the Psalms. And so uh, when the evil one would say an untrue thing or quote a scripture out of context, the Holy Spirit would move Antony to recognize what was going on and to say a word of truth that revealed the falsehood for what it was. And that's the power of the word of God. But, but in order to enter into that kind of mental prayer, that kind of deep spiritual context, you know, uh, it requires on our part 
um, uh, learning this holy scriptures, reading them, praying through them. And it requires that we spend some time in silence and solitude each day, even if it's a very short period of time. And then it also requires, I think, that, that uh, we not be afraid to go into places of death to speak the truth. You know, and um, uh, just like Anthony went out into the tombs, sometimes uh, the, the places of death where we need to speak the truth, sometimes they are in the uh, bedrooms of our sons and daughters. Well, we need to go in there and see, see the, the kinds of posters and things they have on the wall. And the kinds of things they're looking at at the computer, and we need to ask them about that. We need to shine the light of truth. You know, um, uh, why why are you entertaining yourself with this? You know, is this something that you think really belongs in this household right now? Uh, we we need to also look at our confront uh, uh, other places of death, maybe a little bit closer to home. What about our own computer screens and the things that we've been listening to and watching in terms of entertainment? The whole entertainment industry, the whole commercial entertainment industry right now is a place of death where they celebrate all kinds of lewd things and they and they hold it out there and, uh, to make us laugh at it and think it's okay. And it's not okay. It's, it's deadly. It ruins our tenderness and our ability to relate to each other in, on deeper levels because, because we've been caught up in, in an uh, uncouth spirit. And when you're uncouth, when you're when you uh, you know are given to dirty jokes and laughing about holy things, um, you're not able to re- appreciate the most beautiful and tender things of our humanity. You're not able to enjoy deep and abiding friendships, and so um, and so we need to go into those places of death, like how we entertain ourselves, and ask ourselves, what is the spirit that's here? Uh, is this a spirit of fornication that I've given into? Is this an uncouth spirit that I'm letting myself get caught up? Everybody else is caught up in it. Am I going to let myself get caught up in it too? Is this a spirit of, of anger and aggression? You know, so many sexual things that we have on TV and on the internet. Uh, quite apart from fornication, there's also a, a real spirit of aggression and anger in them. Um, you know, and I, I'm thinking in particular, there's a, a lot going on with uh, the whole uh, feminist movement and the way men are regarded in film and book and theater right now is uh, uh, not very many artists right now are seeing the goodness of fathers and men. Uh, instead, they're celebrating, they, they celebrate uh, their failures and, and uh, depict them as weak and pathetic and, and um and I think we need to look at, you know, why is that so entertaining to us? Why is it so entertaining to us that we have our our uh, our daughters on billboards as uh, sex objects? Why is that entertaining to us? There's something really, uh, really kind of violent and vile about that. We should we should recognize whether it's on a ride home, in the privacy of our uh, computer screen, or, or or in a movie we paid to go to. Uh, when there's something vile or uncouth or unchaste or violent, uh, we need to be able to name, identify what that is. And in identifying what that is, you know, kind of disassociate, renounce it. I don't want this to be part of my life. And we might continue to struggle for it, but as long as we're struggling, as long as we're going to confession, that irrationality 
loses its power over us. But when we don't recognize it, when we somehow think it's okay because everybody else is doing it and we let ourselves get caught up into it, that real irrationality colors the whole way we relate to life and we lose the fullness of joy that otherwise should be ours. Anthony, I wish we had more time to continue our, our conversation on this, but I just want to encourage folks to pick up a copy of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation on prayer. There's so much more there. Any final thoughts, Anthony? Well, I really appreciated this this interview, and and I, I guess the, the final thing, you know, some people think that make two mistakes whenever we talk about irrational spirits. That what, some people don't want to talk about it at all. And, um, and, and some people like to talk about it too much. They sensationalize it. I think, uh, I think as we look at the irrationality in our culture and in our society and even in our families and our private life, as we look at, we don't want to sensationalize it. We also don't want to ignore it. We want to be kind of sober about it and submit it to the cross of Christ. And when we do that, there is freedom. Because um, as you do that, you see the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. And um, I think so many of our brothers and sisters, so many of us, um, the Lord would have us live in a greater freedom than we currently do. And that greatest, greater freedom comes th- through this kind of sober confrontation of irrationality with the truth that you were speaking about, Chris. And thank you for the opportunity to address that. Thank you so much, Dr. Anthony Lillis. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.